One of the primary activities of God is He likes to bless. It's His heart, it's His passion, it's His joy and pleasure to bless you. He's inclined to bless you. And we've been talking these weeks about the ways in which He desires to bless us. Today we'll be talking about how He wants to bless you with a connected life. Sandra was a 30-something-year-old wife and mother of uh, some small children. She knows God, loves God, worships God, serves God. And on one occasion, as she was having a little devotional time with God, she felt impressed that he wanted her to go visit her grandmother. And so she told her husband, I I really think God wants me to go visit Granny. Can we, this Saturday, pack up the kids in the car and head over and see her, which was about a three-hour drive. And her husband was uh, more than agreeable to make that trip and to go visit Granny. But he was was inquisitive, and he inquired, why do you think God is prompting you to go visit Granny? And Sandra said, You know, after all these years of knowing Granny and going to church with Granny and loving Granny, I'm I'm just not sure where Granny stands with God. We've never had a conversation about the gospel. And I want to have that conversation with her before it's too late. And so that Saturday came, they made the trip over, and they, uh, you know, began to visit with Granny at her place. And Sandra and Granny were hanging around in the kitchen, and they were making cookies and, and baking some stuff and talking with one another. And at some point, Sandra began to talk about God and began to talk about uh, spiritual things. And one thing led to another, and she just posed the question, Granny, are you going to heaven someday when you die? And Granny smiled and had kind of that warm and endearing response to her granddaughter. And she said, honey, I sure hope so. Now, how many times have you heard that reply to that question? I think through the years, I've heard it, if not hundreds of times, dozens and dozens of times. What do you think about going to heaven? Do you think you'll be one that does? I sure hope so. Now, Granny was a longtime member of her church, been a part of her church for decades. She was very involved in her community. She was a law-abiding citizen. She paid her taxes. Everybody that knew Granny would pretty much say, you know what, if it's a matter of being a good person, Granny is a shoe-in to go to heaven. Is it a matter of being a good person? Will you go to heaven someday when you die? See, most Americans believe in God. Most Americans believe there is a heaven. And most Americans believe those that get to be with a good God in a good place called heaven must be good people. 
And he really raises the question, how good is good enough to get into heaven? Have you asked that question? Have you examined that question for yourself? Because uh, overwhelmingly, those that think it's on the good enough scale to get into heaven have not given it very careful examination. They kind of intuitively hope that I have been good enough and that God will kind of grade on a curve. I know I'm better than these guys. Maybe I'm not as good as those guys, but I, 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 I hope so. I think I'm going to be in. Well, we probably need to define what's good. Because uh, your definition of good and my definition of good may be two different things. As a matter of fact, this week, we will be remembering the horrific uh, events around 9-11 from some eight years ago. Right? Now, I consider what happened on 9-11 when planes were hijacked and crashed into the Twin Towers and into the Pentagon, I consider that an act of terrorism. I consider that evil. Over 3,000 lives were lost that day. Do you know that those who were the perpetrators of that and many that are a part of their clan and community think what they did was noble? Holy, God-pleasing, and good. And they think that goodness will help them get into heaven. So what is good? I've got one sense of, of definition about what goodness is. A lot of other people have a totally polar opposite idea of what goodness is. We better get that figured out. If goodness is the scale, and then we need to know what's good enough. How much goodness? I mean, you look at Granny's life and uh, all those that are around her and in her generation. Ninety years old, decades of good living. Was that good enough? She wasn't sure. Are you sure? How good is good enough? Well, it raises the question, does God, in fact, have some kind of, of curve so that he puts it on kind of a sliding scale and he's got like the really bad guys down here and the really good guys up here and, and a lot of in between and he's kind of parsing it out in between. Does he actually have a curve like that? Because a lot of us are hoping he does. Well, the Bible is a collection of revelations of God. God has said, here's what I want you to know about me. Here's what I want you to know about my will and my ways. And the Bible says in Romans 3.20, no one can be made right with God by following the law. Translated, no one can be made right with God by being good. No one can be good enough. No one. The law only shows us our sin. See, God just said, here's the law because I want you to know how busted you are. I want you to know how off the mark you are. Romans 3.23, everyone has sinned. 
We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6.23, and the wages of sin, what we earn, what we deserve, what is rightfully ours because we sin and we, and we break God's standard, is death. To be separated from Him forever. To not go to heaven. Now, that's the bad news. He said, Scott, you start off saying how much God wants to bless us. He does. So here's some good news. And we're going to be looking at that in the book of Philippians. Today, picking up in chapter 3 and verse 4. And as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we're going to see on that good scale, he had no peer. Look with me in chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. As Paul begins to talk about his own life, he said, If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in the things that they've done, in good deeds, if anyone else has uh, reasons to do that, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. You go, so what? (laughs) Well, that was a part of uh, being in Jewish covenant with God. So, while he's an infant, his goodness begins. Right? His parents are party to helping him start the good trek right at birth, right in his infancy. So, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, that is the people of God. So, there's another good deal. Of the tribe of Benjamin, which out of the twelve tribes of Israel, Benjamin could arguably be the the goodest. And we won't go into all the history of that. Uh, A Hebrew of Hebrews. I've not compromised. I've not watered down my Jewishness at all. And in regard to the law, a Pharisee, which means very strict, very meticulous, even kind of OCD, a little obsessive compulsive about keeping all the rules. And as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Here is a good guy. Good guy. So, Paul, though, began to discover that goodness is not where it's at. Goodness is not the factor that brings about connection with God and sends me to heaven someday when I die. He, in fact, comes to a realization that what it's all about is knowing Christ. And therefore, he rejected, he he no longer put his trust in his own goodness and in his own uh, accomplishments, his own righteousness. But he began to put his trust in the goodness and in the righteousness of Christ. And that knowing Christ would make the difference. Pick it up with me in verse 7. But whatever it was to my prophet, all these good things I just listed, I now consider loss. For the sake of Christ, I count it as no big deal at all. It doesn't make that much difference. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them to be rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Not my own righteousness. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. 
Let me just go ahead and finish the text. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So all those are important concepts and phrases. We're going to visit them. So how good is good enough? Goodness can't be good enough. Let me ask and answer a second question then. Well, then how important is heaven? And out of what we just heard Paul say, we begin to get heaven itself in perspective. Let me put it to you this way. I heard a formerly aspiring baseball player recount his days of pursuing the major leagues. He played a lot of baseball. And he got good enough to make it into the minor leagues. And he was in the minor leagues for years. And he said, I kept hoping that one day I'd hear the call up to New York. Now, he goes on to point out, he said, you know what? If I had ever gotten that call, if they had ever said, come on up to New York, I wouldn't have been excited, per se, about the city of New York. What New York represented to me was the Yankees. I wanted to play for the Yankees. I wanted to be a part of the most historic winning franchise in baseball history. And so it is with our faith in Christ. See, for him, New York was just a destination as a city, but the prize was being a part of the Yankees. And for us, heaven is just a destination. It's not a prize. Jesus is the prize. And Paul said, here's what I found out because I went down the good track. I was more good than anyone else around me. I mean, I was off the scale. I was off the chart. But I found out that that's not what matters. That I could never be justified by the law. I could only be made right by Christ. And that by giving my heart to Christ, I not only was squared up with God, but I got the gift of Jesus. And I found out that He's the treasure. I found out that everything else I'd ever had, everything else I'd ever experienced, in comparison to Jesus, was like trash. As worthy as all that stuff was, that's because He is so glorious, so magnificent, such the treasure. Because you see, what Paul found out is how loved he was by Jesus. What Paul found out was there was absolutely nothing, zero, nada, that he could do to square himself up with God. But that Jesus was willing to do it for him. So, I I know a guy by the name of Andy who, for the first time, got a new car. You remember the first time you got a new car? I'm talking about new-new, not like 
secondhand new. And he got himself an infinity. And he was, he was enjoying that ride. He was proud of that ride. And uh, he came home one day, parked the car, went in, had his time, you know, in the evening with the family and so on like that. The next day, he gets up to go to work and he goes out to get into the car. And on the hood of the car, someone has scraped and carved a big A and then some illegible letters after that. Andy was nuts. Could you, can you identify? Would you have been there? He's like, what happened to my car? Who did this to my car? And he goes into the house and he calls for the kids. And he's got three relatively small kids. And, and the two older ones come up and, and he's like, kids, what happened to my car? Who knows about what happened to my car? Did you do something to the hood of the car? And they stand there kind of wide-eyed for a moment. And then one of them says, Ashley did it. Ashley's the youngest, three years old. And Andy calls in the next room, Ashley, come here. Ashley comes in there. Hi, Daddy. Ashley, did you carve an A on Daddy's car? Yes, Daddy. Honey, do you know how much that has messed up Daddy's car? No, Daddy. I'm sorry. What do you do at that point? She's sorry. She's repentant. She won't do it again. She could not grasp the gravity and the depth, the significance of what she had done to Dad's brand new infinity. What do you do? It's not like you say, okay, well, honey, well, I, I want you to st- go out and get a job. I want you to make up enough money to pay for all this damage. I'm going to have to have a rental car while it's in the shop. I want you to make enough money to pay for it. She can't do anything. She's three years old. She can't tie her shoe yet. And so what do you do? And Andy said, I love her. I just forgave her. And I paid the price to go have the car worked on and get a rental and, you know, all the money that was involved in that and the hundreds of dollars and the lost time and etc. I just covered it because I love her and she can't do a thing about it. And that's what Paul began to discover. That all of his good works amounted to a three-year-old that can't do anything about godly holiness. And righteousness. And Jesus said, I love you. I'm going to cover that for you. I'll take care of that for you. And when Paul grasped that reality, that reality began to grasp him. And he found out it's not all about heaven. It's about Jesus. And someday, when this life is over, I just get to go to another destination, another place. But it's still about Jesus. I get Jesus now. I get Jesus then. So what is this thing about being connected? Because everything we're talking about, friends, is God's heart toward you. God wants to bless you with the capacity to be connected to Him, to know Him. How did that play out for Paul? We just read the verses. He said in the first place, being connected with Christ looks like freedom from my past. Now, you you see, 
Paul had a pretty good past. You go, oh, you know, if I had his track record, I don't know that I'd want to get free from that. That track record was going to keep him apart from God for all eternity. As long as he was deceived and deluded into thinking, I'm good enough, he was going to miss Jesus and miss heaven forever. But when he was able to get connected to Jesus, he got freed from that deceptive thinking about goodness. And he was able to embrace and be embraced by Jesus. Now, friends, maybe you have a really good history. Maybe you have a really rotten history. On the scheme of eternity, it doesn't matter. Now, in the, in the scheme of the temporal, it makes a lot of difference because the, the more junk in your life, the more you've got to contend with. But on the scheme of eternity, the only thing that matters is are you connected to Jesus or not? Are you bringing all your goodness or all your junk to him and receiving his righteousness in exchange and receiving his person in exchange? If you have, then it frees you from that past and it frees you from relying on hoping you've got enough self-righteousness. Paul said, I don't have to depend on my righteousness. He gives me his righteousness. So that you can have confidence, not only that you know, that you know, that you know the Lord, but that someday when this life is over, He, in relationship with you, takes you to heaven where He is. Jesus expressed this to His disciples in John 14 this way. He said, don't be worried and upset. Believe in God, believe in me. There are many rooms in my father's house, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I would not tell you this if it were not so. And after I go and prepare a place, I will come back, and I will take you where I am. So that Granny, or Paul, or you, or anyone else can give answer to the question, Are you going to heaven someday when you die? Yes, I am. How in the world can you know that? How can you be so confident? Because I have Jesus in my life, and Jesus said he was going to take me there someday when I die. In Romans 8, it was expressed this way, if God's for us, who can be against us? Certainly not God, who did not even keep back his own son, but offered him for us all. He gave us his son. He will... Uh, will he not also freely give us all things? This is, how you, this is why you can be confident that he wants to bless you. He's already given you the greatest blessing, Jesus. Why would he withhold any other blessing? Because he's already given you the, the, the first and best. And so we're free from our past. We're free from self-righteous attempts. And we get to experience and enjoy resurrection power. Paul said, I'm able now to know the power of his resurrection. So what difference does that make? Well, do you have any challenges in this life? You got any junk that you're trying to get over? You got any new steps that you're trying to take? He said the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, he's going to make that power available to you. To raise your life, to change, to transform, 
to make like Christ your life. And then he said, unbelievably, when I know Christ and when Christ is in my life, any hardship I go through as I'm walking with him, he'll use that redemptively. He'll use that positively and powerfully and in a way that helps people and makes a difference in this world. Not the suffering that happens because I'm detached from him and making bad choices, but the kinds of hard times that happen because I am with him and and doing life alongside of him. He'll redeem all the hard times and make them work for good. And then he says, and this is so awesome, I don't have to find a way to hold on to it. Because he holds on to me. Verse 12. He gripped me with this. I'm held by him with this. That's how come I'm secure. That's how come I know that I know that I know him and that I'm going to heaven. He grips me. And oh yeah, and then I will be resurrected and raised with him and go to heaven someday when I die. Verse 11. Being connected with Christ looks like that. Are you? God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you with being connected to Himself with this saving, redeeming, transforming grace. Do you know Jesus? And do you have this eternal life? If you're not sure, if you have been trying to get answers to a few questions and you feel like you've gotten to that point today and that today, you know, maybe I need to square this up. Maybe I need to cross a line of faith and engage my heart with His and be connected. Then I'm inviting you to do that today in His name. Simply in your heart to say, you know what, like Paul, I reject my own good attempts. I know I'll never be good enough. And like Paul, I will confess I'm totally dependent upon the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus, would you save me? Romans 10.13 says that this simply, whoever calls on Jesus will be saved. Jesus, will you save me? Will you... Be Lord of my life. Will you come and take charge of my life? I don't have the power to do life as you dreamed life could happen for me. Does your connection bring that freedom, that power, that redemptive suffering, that security, that confidence of heaven? It can. That's what God wants to bless you with. Will you let him bless you in Jesus' name? Let's pray. So, Father, we marvel because we know how much junk there is in our lives. We marvel that you love us, that you pursue us, that you're inclined toward us with favor, that you want to bless us. It's just a, it's a mystery. But we also want to receive it. So I pray for my friends in the room today, Lord, or anybody listening to this later, that right now, in this moment, 
you would touch their heart and enliven them to be able to connect with you. We pray that you'd save, forgive us of sin, make us your child forever, take us to heaven someday when we die. All right, we pray in the only hope that we have, Jesus. Amen.